This is Pete Moore on Halo Talks NYC. I have the pleasure of having coming straight from Bangkok, Jack Thomas, podcaster, app developer, entrepreneur, and owner of some studios and clubs, well-known outside of the U.S. Now he will be well-known in the U.S. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Pete. It's an absolute pleasure to be here and happy to share some of our story here over in Bangkok. Obviously, it's been a crazy year, but I think I've got some stuff which will help the listeners out wherever they are in the world. Yeah, great. So, uh, you know, they pushed the goal goalpost back on us uh, recently. Uh, you know, we were trying to get through November 1st, and now that seems to be April 1st, and we're in the midst of a, a nor'easter and a pandemic and outdoor dining in cold weather. So why don't you give us a little bit of a lens into, you know, what post-corona looks like. Um, so at least we could have a little bit of hope in the next couple of weeks of that there is a there is an other side of this. Yeah, first of all, I just want to say I'm sorry to see what's happening over in the States. It really does pain me to see the state of the fitness industry there. And I'm sure a lot of good quality players are going to be really struggling to, to pull through this. So definitely my thoughts go out to the US fitness market for sure. We are in a much better spot here in Asia, especially here in Thailand. We've had pretty much zero cases for about five, six months now. So we had two and a half months of hard lockdown. We peaked here at about 100 cases per day, and then it slowly just kind of whittled away as if by magic. So, you know, towards the end of that two and a half months, it definitely became quite frustrating. It became pretty tough. But now I kind of felt like a bit of a feel like a bit of a spoiled kid looking back at how I was feeling then compared to the UK the US and many other fitness markets around the world. So since we reopened, which was in May, so we're looking at, yeah, six months ago now, mm -hmm. we just gradually creeped back to somewhat near pre-COVID levels. So we're currently sitting at around 80% in terms of revenue. Interestingly, personal training is over 100% year on year. We've definitely seen hear. people kind of shift over to that, which has been cool. We did get the option for all of our group class clients to shift to personal training and convert their packages. Many took that. Group classes has been a slower process getting back. Personal training was pretty much 100% from day one of reopening, but group classes was a lot slower. We had from 30 as our max, we started off with 10 people. We had less classes to allow for more cleaning. But we've just gradually increased the numbers month by month. And now we're sitting at about 75 to 80% year on year what we were doing for group class, which is obviously very, very encouraging. And it's shown us that people were very keen to get back into the studio after doing burpees, mountain climbers, and air squats in front of the TV for a few months. And I think that will be mirrored around the world, actually. We've heard that's happened in Australia. People are very keen to get back into the studio. And I'm definitely very bullish on the future of in-person institute fitness. And what's the situation on, you know, wear, having to wear masks or social distancing? Is that kind of, you know, passed as well and you're in a clear or, or what's the what are some of the restrictions? It's more Asian culture, I would say, to just wear a mask. You know, we've been mm. wearing masks here for a long time, COVID or no COVID. And actually in January, February, the air pollution did spike in Bangkok. So a lot of people were just wearing masks anyway. The culture here is very much obedient. It's kind of listening to the government. It's kind of doing what they're told and being want to be seen to doing the right thing, as opposed to sort of the freedoms and the individual individuality that we have in the West. I reflected on this recently, and I actually think the things that makes the West great, I think, has kind of screwed it. 
you know, it's um, less control from the government. People kind of do what they want to do. They have the freedom to do whatever they want to do, which I think is fantastic. And I do love that about the UK and the US. But right now in this current situation, it's definitely put the West in a bad place. Whereas Asia, it seems to have benefited us here. I mean, China's gone down to zero cases and that's where the whole thing started, right? So you look around and there's a lot of compliance. You walk down the street and even with zero cases, there's still a lot of people wearing masks. There's nightclubs are open now. No one's wearing masks there bars and restaurants. There are certain situations where people are definitely relaxing here, but generally day to day, you know, on, on mass, mass transit, public transport, people are pretty much doing the right thing. And I think that is one of the keys to success. They don't really let their guard down. So even if COVID creeps back in across the border from Myanmar, let's say they've had a few cases, I think because we're largely doing the right things there or thereabouts, I think that's massively, massively helped us. Whereas in the UK, cases go down a little bit and everyone's like, hey, let's party, let's get out there, let's stop wearing masks. And I uh, I'm not a scientist, but I feel like that's probably played a part in Asia's success. Yeah, yeah. Just to, to, to go down a tangent, I've been listening to a lot of historical podcasts over the last seven, eight months um, about American history. And you realize that, you know, it's the United States of America. It's not America. And there was a fear of the federal government. So the federal government in the U.S. was kind of basically set up to to be designed for gridlock. So they couldn't really come after the people. So all their energy will be expended arguing and kind of, you know, meeting in the middle in order to make sure that the freedoms, they'd be exhausted by the time they got to the people. So, you know, it's, it's not, it's designed where the states are really supposed to be independent and they're, you know, consolidated, if you will, for security purposes and for fiscal purposes. But the freedoms in the U.S. have definitely, you know, not, not been a good uh, variable, uh, you know, when it comes to, to compliance. Um, that's been going on even during the pandemic of 1918, supposedly there wasn't much compliance then. Um, and there isn't much now. So it seems like you can't have it all. You can't have complete and absolute freedom and do everything that you want to do and also have no COVID. So you've got to give something up somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I do think that the administration, you know, their radical approach to, to masks, you know, I think I'm a superhero. I usually wear a Batman mask. You know, they could have turned, you know, Trump could have probably netted a couple billion dollars, which are very high margin, you know, masks are pretty high margin, you know, accessory. So I, I'm not really sure who who convinced him that the no mask thing was a good idea because it was another, you know, you know, piece of uh, souvenir, you know, a souvenir piece, if you will, that probably is an 80 percent margin product. But yeah, I think one of the few on. financial winners here have been mask producers for sure, especially the luxury ones. Yeah, some yeah. of those companies have done extremely well. Not so much yeah. fitness. So I'll get off. I'll get. I'll get off my tangent. Let's go back to the fitness <laughs> industry. So you know, from a standpoint of you know, there, there's definitely a fear in this market now of that the at home and that the digital players and there's been some really big venture capital investments in the industry that have been you know whether it's Strava or Tonal, Tonal or Mirror, and obviously Peloton's valuation. If I was a fly on the wall in a venture capital investment committee. They got to be looking at the sixty billion dollars of annual uh, of annual recurring membership revenue and saying like, hey, there's twenty five percent of that's up for grabs. So you know where you sit, you know, is are the studios and the clubs now saying, hey, look, we're gonna we'll we'll do our own digital. You know, you're not taking that away from us. You know, good effort, uh, but it's not gonna happen. Or you know, do you see some of the digital players out there stealing our members, if you will? It was interesting to see how the Asia market adapted to the situation. So 
just to give you a bit of background on myself, I've been here for 15 years in the fitness industry for 10 years. And so first as a consumer, then as a coach, then a manager, and then a business owner, I've seen the fitness industry pretty much developed from absolutely nothing to being like a major player in the Asia fitness market. We've got all sorts of different boutique offerings, big names coming in, um, big box uh, fitness first and the like coming in as well. So it's, it's turned into a very lively market. So although it's matured a lot, it's still not on the same level as the West. We're still a good three, four, five years behind, but we are catching up. Online fitness, digital fitness, just not really a thing here at all one year ago. With COVID, suddenly everyone's found their studios that they like to go to. They've got their gym routine. There's rhythm cycling studios here like SoulCycle. And they wanted to carry that on and they kind of needed something to do at home. So it's very interesting to see how quickly they shifted into doing online and digital fitness. There's no big players here such as Peloton. You know, you can't get Autonal or Mirror or anything like that are pretty hard to get or, or impossible to get and kind of link up here. So yeah, there's no big players who've taken a chunk of the market in that regard. But the boutiques here did jump in, Fitness First and the other chains here did set up online digital offerings that were very popular. Now, what we've, during lockdown, mm-hmm. now what we've seen since then is people just couldn't wait to get back into the studio. And we set up a online digital offering that we ran uh, called Base Anywhere. We put workouts every day, live workouts, on-demand workouts. We put a lot of effort and energy into it. It kept some money coming in. It kept the team busy. It was really very successful. We got 150 people on recurring membership, which was way beyond what we expected. So it showed during that time the market was there. It absolutely plummeted once the gym was reopened, which we found really interesting. And we didn't see such a sharp drop, actually. We thought a lot of people would maybe want to do 50-50 or maybe they got used to training at home. So that was something that we didn't quite expect that was quite interesting. I'm actually a believer in you need to create something in your gym or your studio that you just cannot get at home. And that's what we've done at base through the environment we've created, the connection that the coach has with you. Mm-hmm. We've got something called baseline technology that we've developed, which tracks and records your results as you go through a group class. It's just an experience that you can't get at home. So I did suspect people would want to come back, but I didn't know how strongly they would want to come back or how quickly they would come back. And that's actually been, I, I'm very happy about that. You know, it's exceeded my expectations. And I think it just shows that if you really create something very special in your gym, people will want to come back and the market still will be there for sure. If you haven't got coaches that really connect with the staff, if you haven't got front desk team that learn people's names, get to know people, there's a community vibe, people might just stay at home doing the online workouts because you can get free apps now that give you the workouts. So I think any gym, any studio needs to think about are there elements of your concept that you can't get at home and are there elements of the experience and the customer service that you just can't get at home? If the answer is yes, people will come back. If the answer is no, they might just stay at home and jump on Peloton or or one of the others, which we can all admit are very, very good services. So that's kind of how we framed it. It's been interesting to see that developed. Moving forwards, we are focusing fully 100% on the in-person experience and using tech to kind of, you know, enhance that experience. Got it. So one thing that's definitely a big differentiator between your two and a half months of lockdown versus you know, basically we're, we're in month nine, I'd say probably month nine of lack of the, the face-to-face relationship. Even if people are coming into a club or a studio, they're not having that same experience. It's right. kind of like a planet fitness inside of, you know, a full amenity box. So there's nothing really going on that people feel a connectivity to a community. It's more of like, you know, a you know, laundromat service, if you will, you know, do, do it yourself. So one of the things that we're dealing with, and I think is going to continue to proliferate Fortunately or unfortunately, 
is that the instructor and the trainer is building that relationship digitally. And it's not being really built by the, the club or, or the studio. So the studios and the clubs, I feel, could be entering this, you know, like you said, you were in New York a couple of years ago, you probably went to a Broadway show. They're almost like the theater and, and like the actors are actually have the relationship with the, with the, uh, you know, with, with the fans, if you will. Um, so do you, uh, have you seen any change between, you know, is the relationship still owned at base kind of between base and the member, or is there kind of a little more relationship between the instructor and the member and base is kind of like the umbrella or was the two and a half months kind of short enough where it didn't change the perception that you're a member of base. And I'm not like, I'm not, I don't have a relationship with this trainer or instructor who happened to work at base. I don't know if I explained that or I went on too long, but I'm not going to yes, answer, it's a, so answer it however you want. It's a bit of both, I would say. It's definitely the, the full experience. Like just, for example, one of the things that we look for in our locations is big, high ceilings, right? So when you walk in, it has this feeling that you've come to somewhere special. Right. You know, the technology is up on the screens. We've got leaderboards and it's like an, there's a, an app that you would um, log into when you come in to see what you got last time so you can try and beat it today. So there's a lot of elements of that experience. The, the lighting we've worked a lot on, we invested a lot into a big sound system. You know, actually I, I got a lot of inspiration from my initial trip to New York before we opened base just to see what the big top players were doing there. It was really interesting to see how they created the brand experience. For example, Rumble did that exceptionally well. Like all those little branding points throughout the studio and that was quite inspirational so we thought you know not not what can we just copy directly but what what are they doing to capture that the essence of a high-end boutique experience and what can we do in our own way to make sure it has that same vibe and that same feeling but of course in boutique fitness it is very coach dependent as well so it is about knowing the coach the coach knows any little injury you might have they know your name They know if you like to push, if you like to be coached closely, if you like to be left alone. And I think that's something that Boutique Fitness, of course, has done extremely well. And that pretty much started in New York, right? So, yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. I think it's the brand that we've built and the vibe that people get just when they walk through the door, knowing they are coming to base. Stuff like the sound system, the lights, the music, the design of the place is big as well. But then, of course, the instructors is incredibly important. So we invest a huge amount, not in just the physical location, but also the training process that new coaches and new instructors go through to make sure they're bang on point. And we want all of our coaches, we said this from day one, any coach at base should be able to step into a gym in New York and they'd still fit in there. They'd still excel there. You know, we kind of used the world's leading fitness markets as our benchmark. And so we thought if we could do that, then we could truly make it a massive success in Asia. And, you know, that's proven to be the case over the first four years. Yeah. No, you make a really interesting point related to the, the high ceilings and the sound system. I think that the movie theater industry in the U S is probably going to, going to shrink dramatically. You know, the, these studios are now geared up towards, you know, going direct the same day that's going into the movie theater and they're kind of giving a web share to the movie theaters. Now to basically say, Hey, I want this out there right when it's ready. But a movie theater, when you think about the high ceilings in a movie theater and you think about the sound systems that are in there, you know, as groups decide and get out of this hibernation mode, and maybe that's not until Q2 or Q3 of next year in the U.S., you know, identifying those types of opportunities where you can take over a movie theater. And instead of going and, and you know, taking over an old uh, grocery store because the rent is, you know, cheaper and the landlord's giving you incentives for the long term, I think that spatial experience 
is, is what's going to differentiate people, not just, you know, a, uh, you know, the price. And then, it, then we get down to lower price and how much lower can you go? And if you got a, if you're still chasing price, then you probably didn't learn anything over the last year. So yeah, I think it's interesting to look at other industries and see what we can take from those industries for sure. And you look at something like movie theaters, and I think one thing they'll struggle with is you can almost recreate the experience at home now. People have got massive TVs, they've got amazing sound systems, yeah. which we didn't have 20 years ago. We had small, rubbish TVs. And so I think that's actually a good example of not being able to... Sorry, people can now recreate that experience largely at home so they're going to go less and now they've realized they can do that at home as well so in the fitness industry we need to think as in-person gyms what can we do that people can't get at home otherwise you know we we will be vulnerable to that for sure yeah so you know when you look at private equity capital you know there's obviously a couple groups in in uh you know fitness first and uh i'm sorry quadrant you know behind greg oliver you know he's got he's got big equity capital we work with Matt Allison with uh, Space yep. out of uh, out of Taiwan, and and they've got locations in Beijing and Shanghai. What have you seen on the on the investor side of getting back into the industry? I don't know if there are any big blockbuster deals that have been announced, but you know, is the investor sentiment there? You know, the coast is clear. You know, show me some quarters of of uh, you know stability, and then you know there'll probably be some more venture and, and, uh, and private equity, it gets into the sector or have, did you see, you know, everyone say, Hey, look, I want to sit on the sidelines. I'm going to window shop, like what's being done in the U S and now it's kind of like the vulture investors are in and the growth equity guys are still kind of, you know, waiting on the sidewalk, you know, trying to see what's, what's happening before they get hit by something. It's again, we're, we're quite behind the US in that regard. There's some groups that are doing things and making things happen and making acquisitions, such as Evolution Wellness, such as Fitness and Lifestyle Group, as you mentioned, and Space are obviously doing big things in, in China as well, in Taiwan. So that there is some movement, but it's just a long way behind the US and especially in the boutique sector where we're at. But interestingly, post COVID, there's been a lot of conversations, there's been a lot of talk and interest into investing into this industry. I think people are seeing fitness, wellness as like an exciting industry moving forward. So I think there is a feeling there'll be a renewed focus on staying healthy, staying strong, staying fit, like experiential fitness, you know, i.e. going to base and getting a great workout or getting a Peloton bike or a similar type of at-home service. It kind of gives you that great experience. I think there's certainly been a lot of conversations and a lot of interest. And it's something that we're kind of monitoring closely as well, because as we look to expand around Asia, we're kind of working out the, the best way to do that. And so, yeah, it, it's been reassuring to, to hear of that interest and to, to have these conversations. And it wasn't something that we really expected, say, in lockdown. I was expecting, you know, a few years really before any, yeah, before confidence really, really fully returned. So that's been very encouraging. Um, and so, you know, I, I guess we're like six months ahead of you guys, right? Maybe even longer, maybe 12 months ahead. So it'll be interesting to see how that that's adapted in the US. I think as well, just because it hasn't hit this country hard or hasn't hit this region like particularly hard, I think maybe the recovery will be quicker, perhaps. Like in the US and the UK and in Europe, where it's been hit hard, perhaps it will take longer for confidence to come back. It's hard to say. But, you know, look at the stock market. It's very interesting what's happened there, right? There still is money flying around. There still is confidence in certain sectors. And I think I, I'm actually, I would say in, in a way, I'm more bullish now on the future of fitness than I was a year ago. I think um, people are going to value this higher than they did before this happened. 
you know, maybe if COVID-23, COVID-24 comes, people are going to want to be fit, strong, healthy. And I think there's actually also a renewed focus on having a balanced lifestyle. So, you know, wellness retreats, fitness obviously plays a part of that as well. I think that's something that people feel will be a shift in consumer mindset. So, yeah, interesting times, but a lot of positive conversations here. More positive than I expected, certainly early on in 2020. Yeah, to your point about the stock market, I think we live almost like in a, uh, a three-tiered uh, universe. You know, you've got the real world where everyone's in pain. You've got the stock market that's supposed to be like a leading indicator, but they actually mark to market, you know, every second. So you're actually not a leading indicator. You're a, you're a current indicator. And then you have the psychological world that everyone's living in, which is complete unknown. So these things usually are supposed to kind of, you know, be correlated to each other. You know, consumer confidence is supposed to be the indicator of stock market. The stock market is supposed to be the indicator of how people are feeling. Um, and then small businesses, which is, you know, one of the cornerstones of the U.S., you know, is typically the job growth creator. And now it's, you know, it's complete destruction on that front. Thankfully, we got a PPP loan coming out that got announced last night. Um, so just one, one other point before we, we uh, end up here. You know, do you see any other, you know, besides, you know, the, the digital at home and some of the new concepts, is there anything that's kind of hit your radar in the last six months, whether it's on, you know, the nutrition side or weight loss or, you know, anything that you've been like, well, maybe it's like Oculus with the, um, you know, 3D goggles or is anything that, that you've seen that's like, well, I think that might be the future um, or that's like a really interesting technology and anything that's kind of stuck out to you that you're like, hey, I, you know, I said, I told you here, like in 2025, like this is going to be maybe holograms. I don't know. <laughs> well, in, in Asia, we're still getting to grips with it already. And we're still introducing a lot of new concepts. So there's nothing in this region I've seen that's really blown me away. Okay. Um, I think, um, yeah, VR headsets and stuff like that. I've not, yeah, not seen those. I think, um, I think it might be Matthew Janicek that talks about it, one of the digital tech trade shows in the US. Um, so there's definitely some interesting stuff there. I mean, yeah, here I think it's it's in this region, we're still kind of catching up with that. So nothing that really jumps up and, and springs to mind. I mean, I guess the, 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 the biggest thing, if I can use it as a little plug, would be the technology yeah. that we've developed because we think what was missing in the group class uh, fitness space was the tracking and recording of really showing that you're improving as you go through a group class. That was kind of the problem that we wanted to tackle when we set up base. So the app that we've developed, which is linked into our group classes, it tracks and records the weights that you're lifting as you go through a group class, the distances that you've run on the treadmill. Our concept is a mix of uh, high intensity interval training, cardio and strength training. Um, and we felt that was really missing. People would go to classes, you know, go to Orange Theory, whatever it might be, you'd get a sweat, you burn calories, you'd see where your heart rate was, but you wouldn't really know if you were getting fitter or stronger. We felt like that was something that was missing, missing that we wanted to bring to group classes. And seeing the initial response of that has been absolutely huge. So as members go through the workout, they would enter their scores, enter their weights, enter their distances, and then we track and record that over time by repeating the same sets. So that's like our little space of innovation, um, which has been proven like to be really popular. And I think it's that differentiator that will help take us to kind of the more developed markets such as Singapore. But 
Let me have a little think if there's anything else, Pete, that pops up. I know I mentioned yeah, it before yeah, the yeah. end we'll of the show. It, we'll put it on in the descriptor. So look, and it was great uh, connecting with you. Maybe we could uh, start like a 24-7 global podcast. So like I'll do, do it, it over here and then like I'll pass the baton to you and we'll just keep rolling 24-7 and get everyone excited from an investment standpoint. Get Maybe get a cable or TV channel or something like that. Probably get yeah, one quite I mean, cheap, right? I mean, why not, right? Let's just take it and shift. It, right? Awesome. The Fitness News Network. The FNN. Yo, FNN. 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 <laughs> let's do it. You heard it here first. You heard it here first. Awesome. <laughs> All right, man. Well, let's uh, let, let's collaborate. Uh, you know, our goals definitely align with yours, and let's get as much capital into this industry. Let's get entrepreneurs to be successful, and then the more money we have, the more profitable it is, the more people we can help. So, absolutely. Yeah, I'm a big believer in that. You know, it's it's this industry needs to be run as a business. And I think that's something we haven't seen enough in Asia. I think you see a lot of people get into the industry just for passion alone. Right. That's a great start, but they don't really take the business side seriously. And that's something that we've really been struggling with, I would say, in this region. And that was one of the big reasons why I set up the podcast is because awesome. we want it to be seen as a business. We want it to be taken seriously. Then we can help more people. We can have more yeah. impact. The industry can grow a lot more worldwide. So very much on the same page with that one, Pete, and yeah. definitely with you on that. All right. Well, we'll get so we'll get some of your people into uh, the Halo Academy. We're trying to do this business uh, intensive, and uh, look forward to meeting you in person as soon as I can get out of here. <laughs> Hopefully next year, twenty twenty one. Let's see. Awesome. All right, man. Thank Keep you. Keep up Pete. the great work. Talk to you soon. I appreciate it. Thanks, guys. All right, later. As we continue to build our Halo Talks email notification database, want to offer you a free $10 instant gift card from our friends at Promotion Vault. Also to show you how easy it is to offer your members and prospects and clients the ability to get desired actions out of them and reward them in real time, go to halotalks.com, put your email address into the pop-up box, see how it works, get a free $10 gift card from us, and uh, keep listening and making everybody great.